1: You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com.
2: Dairy Gold AgriBusiness. For quality feed, expert service, and support you can trust. Welcome to our program. I'm John O'Connor. Coming up, amongst the items in our programme, ICSA offers farmers an opportunity to question Ireland's South European election candidates. Farmers plan to spend a massive €140 million euro on robot milking machines and rotary parlours and silage-making tips. Our top story, EU Nitrates Derogation Review meeting planned a McCroom on May 16th. Mr Thomas Ryan, IFA Environment Executive, spoke to the Dairy Gold Farm Talk programme about the importance of this meeting for farmers.
3: IFA next Thursday, um, the sixteenth of May, in the Riverside Park Hotel in McCroom, we're holding a meeting for farmers who are who are in nitrates derogation. So that's farmers typically farming above a stocking rate of 170 kgs of organic nitrogen up to about two hundred and fifty kgs and there's, there's about 2,300 farmers in County Cork who farm in what's called nitrates derogation. The Department of Agriculture is currently reviewing the terms of the nitrates derogation, and many farmers are unaware of the consultation and this, this review is taking place, and that the deadline for getting in submissions is the 24th of the month, is the end of the month. So what, what IFA is doing is we're having a round of meetings starting in County Cork, starting on Thursday the 16th of May in the Riverside Park Hotel in Macroom, at 8 o'clock, to go through the consultation document that the department has put out to hear the views of the farmers that are present, because these are the farmers who are going to drive on the development and the the, the development of the the sector over the years ahead. Many have borrowed uh, significantly to bring their farms and their farm buildings up to the highest environmental standards, and they also have the additional costs and asks that go with farming and derogation this is an early review okay so the nitrates derogation was secured for four years and what the department of agriculture have done now is they're doing a mid-term review so two years into that they're doing a review and it's important that every farmer informs themselves of the fact that the, derog- that, that the derogation review is happening and also gets involved in the discussion and makes a voice heard in terms of the, the consultation that's happening at the moment. On the night, we will be going through the consultation, we will be setting out some proposals, and we'll be encouraging all farmers present to participate. So once again, it's on next Thursday night, the 16th of May, in the Riverside Park Hotel in McCroom starting at 8pm.
2: Thank you, Thomas. Mr Thomas Ryan there, IFA Environment Executive. Thanks, Thomas thanks for having me and some other upcoming IFA meetings Monday 13th of May North Cork IFA County Executive meeting in the GA Complex Carragoon Mallow 8:30 p.m. Tuesday 14th of May West Cork IFA County Executive meeting Parkway Hotel Dunmanway 8:45 p.m. Thursday 16th of May important IFA Night Trace Derogation meeting in the Riverside Hotel McCroom County Cork at 8 p.m. ICSA are hosting an open farmer meeting featuring candidates in the upcoming European elections from the Ireland South constituency. That's on Tuesday next, 14th of May. The hustings will take place in the Charleville Park Hotel, Charleville, County Cork, commencing 8 p.m. ICSA Vice President for Munster, Mr. Dermot Kelleher said, "The European Parliament plays an ever-increasing role in making the key decisions affecting farming." On Tuesday night, farmers will have the opportunity to grill their MEP candidates on farming and rural issues which matter most to them. The candidates say they are eager to hear concerns of farmers and rural people, so Mr Kelleher will encourage everyone to come along and hear what the MEPs have to say before casting your vote. Candidates understood to be confirmed for the meeting on Tuesday 14th of May include... Leah Nereida, MEP, Billy Kelleher, Sheila Noonan, Grace O'Sullivan, Liam Minahan, Breda Gardner, Dermot O'Flynn, and Walter Ryan Purcell. All welcome to attend. Further inquiries, ICSA in Port Leisure at 57 or ICSA Vice President for Munster, Mr. Dermot Kelleher on 87 67 And that's the ICSA- Open Farmer Meeting, an opportunity to meet your MEP candidates. Charleville Park Hotel, Charleville, County Cork, 8 pm, 14th of May, Tuesday next. All welcome. In this week's Irish Farmers Journal, William Condon points out that farmers are to spend an estimated 140 million euro on rotary milking parlours and robotic milking machines. William, welcome to the Dairy Gold Farm Talk programme. What's the background to your article there about the €140 million expenditure on robots and parlours?
1: Well, I I suppose, John, in the last couple of years, we've seen uh, a major focus on investing on on milk and infrastructure on farms. In 2015, we saw the Targeted Agriculture Modernisation Scheme, otherwise known as TAMS, introduced. Um, and through this, farmers can get a 40% grant, or if you're a young farmer, a 60% grant on the first 80,000 that you invest in a project. So that that has really pushed farmers towards upgrading their, their milking equipment. I, I in, Within the last couple of years, we've also seen a change, I suppose, away from just going for the conventional parlor. And we've seen a lot more applications going in for robotic milking machines and rotary milking machines. Um, and I suppose it, it, it follows in with the Growing herd sizes that we're seeing around the country and especially down your own part of the world. We see in Cork in in particular that 20 rotary applications have gone in over the last four years. Um, This is out of a total of 74 applications. So we're seeing that they're really, really concentrated below in Cork. At the same time, we have Cork are also coming out on top for the most robotic um, applications. So there's 47 applications put in uh, robotic milking machines in Cork as well. Now, if we look into the figures a bit more, I suppose it's interesting to see the completion rate on these projects. In the first couple of years of TAMS, farmers were given three years to complete projects. And what was happening there was the farmers were, were kind of, I suppose, delaying uh, with issues with bad weather and maybe cash flow issues that were delaying with, with completing the projects. So it meant that, that very few projects were completed in the first few years of the program. Then, as we get after the first couple of years, the department changed the approval period, and they gave farmers only 12 months to complete work once they got approved. So we've seen in, in the last two years, in particular, um, the amount of applications getting completed really ramping up. Um, we see there in the in the rotary side of things, we've we've 29 ro- rotaries have gone in and have been paid out on by the department. But we're still a long way off of getting to the 74. So. If you were to look at it, you'd envisage that a lot of work is going to be done over the next uh, over the next year or two, especially on the, the milk and machine side of things.
2: Of course, this could be connected in some way or it could be part of a solution to some extent for the shortage of labour. We see how the government are trying to entice people from outside the European Union who would have experienced in agriculture or in the dairy sector to try and um, offer them conditions in Ireland which would attract uh, people to try and ease what I understand in general now is a, a labour shortage in farms. People aren't willing anymore, the younger people aren't willing anymore to automatically go on to uh, farming to take up the work uh, in their family.
1: You're right there when you said labour is an issue and I, when you look at it, the, the rotaries I suppose... They're coming in for the larger herds. You're talking your 300 cow herds and above, um, and they're really trying to cut down on the amount of labour units that you need on a farm. Then, if we look at the robotic side of things, they're really coming in for the the mid-sized farms, up to probably about 140 cows. Um the most common installations you'll see are are, the, are a two robot farm. Um, you know, you could you can get anywhere up to 130, 140 cows on two robots. Uh, larger robot installations, if you're going over the kind of 140. You don't see an awful lot of them. You don't see a lot of three robot kind of installations. But that's that's where you really see, I suppose, between the rotary and the robot, uh, in that gap in the herd size, you really see the conventional parlours going in. Um, and and even though rotary and robot installations have gone up a lot, the conventional parlor is still miles ahead of the rest. We see since 2015 there's been over 2,200 applications for conventional parlours. And um, if if we were to look at this as an average of a 12 unit parlour it means approximately $82 million of an investment in milk and, and Even same with a 12-unit parlour is probably conservative. We're probably talking a lot more money than that. But it it just shows, I suppose, the change in face in it and the investment that farmers are having to make um, You know, to have good facilities. With labour now, labour has choice, I suppose, as to what farm they go to. And if you have a good parlour and good milk and facilities, a, a young farmer can come in. Get in and out of the parlour an hour and a half. Get the cows milked. It's a lot more enticing, I suppose, to having to spend two or maybe three hours in a parlour morning and evening. And and farmers are having uh, labour coming onto farms are, are having a wider choices to which which farms they want to go to and which parlours they want to walk in. So having having that extra comfort does help.
2: This targeted agricultural modernization scheme, TAMS for short, this has been very successful because only a few years ago it seemed that Ireland was way behind in terms of uh, robots and parlours and uh, rotary parlours, etc. But certainly it would appear, when you look at the data given in your article in this week's Irish Farmers Journal, you're saying that there were five applications in 2015, the peak of 27 in 2018 and a general undercurrent of increase in applications all along.
1: Yeah, it, it, it's growing, it's growing, and, and it's the only trend you can see, is you can't really see that trend reverse, and herd sizes are only increasing. But I suppose from the department side, I think the one worry that they have is the amount of projects that are being completed. We have 2000, uh, 2,800 applications, or 2,200, sorry, applications in total, but if, if we look at what's been completed, we're only at 42, 42% completed. So we're well off having all the parlors completed, which, which means a lot of work will have to be done in the next couple of years to get them done. Um, farmers now who apply through the scheme are only given 12 months from when they're approved to actually complete the work and, and submit a payment claim so that you can get your grant aid. And another point to note, I suppose, is for farmers interested in going into the scheme, that you only have until the end of, of next year to make an application through the scheme, so to the end of 2020. So it's really only 18 months left if you're thinking of going into the scheme to try and avail of the grant aid to, to upgrade your facilities. So, like all of these schemes, and you'll often see, uh, you know, a lot more and higher concentration of applications in the later years of the schemes when time is run out and farmers are kind of, I suppose, pushed into making the decision whether to invest or not or lose the chance maybe getting grant aid. Because I suppose the, the way CAP is looking now, we don't know what schemes are going to come after the end of 2020. Um, and we don't know if TAMS will be rolled over, if there'll be an underspend in the scheme, which which is a concern currently. Um, there's only been 126 million out of uh, 395 million spent to date. So there's a lot of money there left that has to go out.
2: The installers of these rotary parlours and robotic milking machines are they all Irish companies or are we relying on? Overseas companies to do this installation work. Is there a shortage of companies or people available to do this installation work, bearing in mind the time sensitivity of the applications and coming into the next stage of cap, etc., etc.? But are there enough installers out there to uh, do the work uh, within the uh, allotted time?
1: Uh, It's a good question. I suppose we've seen in the last maybe two years, Wakato, uh, a New Zealand company, have have made inroads. Their their rotary. Uh, manufacturers, they've made inroads into the Irish market because they see it as a growing, a growing market for them. Um, when it comes to installations, I was talking to a couple of uh, manufacturers there during the weekend. They were saying that they're, you know, that they're nearly booked up until Christmas um, for fitting rotaries. So it gives you kind of a glimpse of the, the pressure that I suppose they're under as well. Most of the companies, that you know, they have an agent or a couple of agents in Ireland, but probably based outside the country themselves. You have the likes of Lely on the robotic side. They're based in um, in Netherlands. Um, but they would all have, all have a good, strong foothold uh, in Ireland too. But no more than any of these types of uh, jobs, John, I suppose there's a demand out there for... Labour for these these kind of jobs, like the welders and um, and that that side of things, we've seen that over the last couple of years, right throughout the the construction industry, and um, particularly on the farm building side of things, because I suppose when when construction is going well, there's a lot more work on houses and on, on sites like that, and it, it does pull some of the employment away from the agricultural um, building side of things
2: the agri-sector and allied industries. It would appear there's plenty of opportunities there for people, but we are saying that the TAMS targeted Agricultural modernization scheme. It really has been very successful and indicates how we're surging ahead in terms of state-of-the-art equipment. So thank you very much indeed, Ms. William Condon, journalist, Irish Farmers Journal, author of the article Farmers to Spend €140 million Euro on Robots and Parlours. William, thank you very much indeed. Thanks, John. You're welcome. Joining us on the Dairy Gold Farm Talk programme, Mr Matthew Ryan, Business and Technology Advisor, Chagask Advisory Office, Derrara Clonakilty, in the west of the county. Matthew, welcome to the programme. Before we look at some general tips on silage making, I understand you have details of some very important upcoming events.
4: Yes, John, there is uh, two upcoming events there that I'd just like to talk about. Uh, the first one there is uh, an ASAP meeting, so the Agricultural Sustainability Support and Advisory Programme. They're holding a, a Farmer Streamside River meeting there to discuss the, the upcoming work that's going to be carried out in the area in Bohoabree in County Cork. Uh, it's happening on Monday the 13th of May from 11am to 12.30pm on the farm of Owen O'Reardon, there in Island Brack, Boho-Bee. Uh, the walk will take place on the Daleside block of land near Doonbridge and there'll be parking at Doonbridge. If anybody has any queries or questions on, the, on that walk or event, just contact the, the Middleton office there in County Cork. And the second event is a, a silage event that's coming up in Canturk on the 20th of May from 7pm to 9pm on the farm of Michael Sinead and Jamie Hayes in Rafferana in Cantork, County Cork. Postcode is P51N2TC. This is a Dairy KT-approved event, and the topics they're going to discuss is basically fertiliser for second coat, spraying weeds in silage ground and grazing ground. Uh, all are welcome, and if anybody, again, has any questions or queries about the event, just contact the, the Chagas office uh, in Kenturk. And last but not least, look, I know people are, have heard enough about it at this stage, is that just to remind them that the deadline for the basic payment is just is on there uh, next wednesday the 15th of may and if you haven't made your application yet just give your advisor or somebody a ring just to give you a hand and they gladly assist in submitting the application before the deadline so that's for the basic payment the transfer of entitlement uh young farmer scheme etc
2: You don't have to fully complete your BPS application form, provided you make a clear statement on transfer of entitlements, etc. There are some aspects of the BPS form you can still change, amend, or add up to the end of the month. But as regards entitlements, in fact, you must get them in by the deadline 15th of May.
4: That's for sure. And again, just make sure the application is submitted by the 15th of May if you need to make an amendment. Uh, You've opened until the 31st uh, of May to make an amendment on an application that has been submitted.
2: But your entitlements, the transfer of entitlements, that must be signed off uh, and completed and uh, can't be changed, I understand, uh, after 15th of May.
4: Exactly. Spot on.
2: Silage. Now, temperatures have picked up slightly in the past week, although we've had uh, some very cold spells what do farmers need to be doing regarding grassland management in the coming week, Matthew?
5: Well,
4: look, first, uh, first and foremost, you know, you're spot on, the growth rates uh, and temperatures have been increasing over the last week. Um, you know, if you look at pasture base there, the growth rates have come from, you know, the mid-40s up to the mid-50s in terms of kgs of dry matter per hectare. But the, you know the nights are still quite cold, and it still seems to be holding growth back a small, a small bit. But you know things are improving, and the outlook for the coming week is positive. You know, and, and with that in mind, you know, with the outlook being so positive for the coming week, I'd encourage farmers just to get out there when they get a chance and walk the farm and to assess the grass cover because you know it can change, you know, an awful lot in the space of a week at this time of the year with the high capacity for growth rates on farms. And we need to ensure that we have good quality grass in front of cows to so maintain the high level of production that's out there and the high average daily weight gain that we're seeing in cattle out there at the moment as well. If you can, look, just graze on the paddocks as best you can for four centimetres and uh, keep the rotation to 21 days. You know, if, if there's a little bit too much grass out there, just consider shortening the rotation a small bit or if you're running a little bit tight, maybe extend it just a small bit. But try and hover around the 21-day rotation. If you are considering... Take out paddocks uh, for, for you know, bales and whatnot off, off the grazing platform, I can't stress it enough, just bear in mind, there's a simple rule of thumb that if you take three to four bales off of, off of a paddock, you're taking off a equivalent of a, a thousand gallons of slurry or equivalent of a bag of 0730. So you're mining off a lot of P&K and and just to put it back on, just to keep the, the fertility in the soil.
2: There's lots of activity in the fields lately, Matthew, with silage being cut. Is there any advice you would like to give to farmers who are, you know, thinking of cutting silage in coming days? Should they cut in coming days or not? What would your considered um, advice there be? Your tips?
4: The the key thing to consider before you're cutting any silage is, you know, how much grass is available to graze on the farm. So, what's the grass, the current grass situation like? And the reason why this is so important is each farming situation is different. Each stocking rate is different. Like if you take a typical farm, they've probably got between 30 to 40 percent of the farm. closed up and it's going to be closed up for about seven weeks. So there's the stocking rate and the grazing platform is quite high. Demand is quite high and growth rates aren't exactly where we need them to be. So there is a pressure uh, on grass supply out there. So just keep a sharp eye uh, on the grass availability. If you're grass measuring, this is a simple benchmark to, to see how much grass you have available to the cow. So if you're hovering around the 180 kilo of dry matter uh, per cow, or if you've got between 10 to 12 days uh, of grass ahead of you, you're in a comfortable position. If you're a little bit lower than that, uh, you know you need to maybe consider if uh, increasing supplementation or if you don't want to increase supplementation, you might have to, uh, you graze half a paddock or part of a paddock there that you might have earmarked for bales just to buy you back an extra day or two just to get the grass up to where it needs to be. Um, on the other hand, if you are thinking of cutting silage and you have a good supply of grass on the farm, you know, a little bit too much uh, in terms of trying to maintain quality in the in the covers, if your contractor's coming in and you think you have enough grass, you know, if he's cutting the, the main crop of silage, just get him to maybe take out a paddock or two. But just don't take out too much, you know, just... Uh, assess what grass you have in the farm and make an informed decision uh, based on that.
2: But Anything else you'd like to add for farmers thinking of cutting silage in coming days?
4: There's a few key things that would w- spring to mind there. So, uh, first of all, would be you know the, the quality or or the type of silage you know that you're that you're hoping to produce um, from from the the silage round. So, like, w- we'll take argument's sake. If, if you're going to cut in the main crop of silage, what is this crop of silage going to be intended for? So the first thing that springs to most farmers' mind is is the is the useful figure of the DMD uh, for the dry matter digestibility, and like there's a huge range there in terms of, of scores and what the score, what livestock category kind of falls into into that score. So we'll say, for argument's sake, uh, a dry sucker cow, you know. A dry sucker cow with good condition, a sixty six DMV silage would suffice. Now that'd be a poor quality silage, but it suffice for a well conditioned dry sucker cow. If you move up the scale to a sixty eight DMV silage, that'd be good enough for a dry dairy cow that's in good body condition score. So if you're looking at a grass before you cut it there with the it's on the five E stage with the seed heads starting to come out through it. Um, if you move up again you're into the, the 70 DMD silage category. We think that would be good for you know a sucker cow with milk or a, a dry dairy cow with very good body condition score. Uh, 72 DMD silage, so that would be grass hopper between the 4 and 5e stage. That would be good for uh, dairy young stock or growing cattle. And last but not least, the 74, 75 DMD, the higher end of the scale silage, uh, the super quality silage. That would be the, the type of silage that you'd be targeting for. You know, autumn calving cows, or spring cows, uh, or spring calving cows and milk that need a bit of buffer feeding in order to maintain uh, high levels of production. And typically, that would be very high leaf content grass with minimal amount of stem. But it just has to be preserved very well uh, to maintain the the quality in it
2: we mustn't forget the winter, of course, and to ensure there's enough feed for the winter with the pressure and challenges associated with feed deficits last year, still fresh in a lot of people's minds. What advice, Matthew, would you be giving to farmers on how much fertiliser they should uh, try and put out and get a good first cut silage to ensure they have enough feed for the winter, even though it's still a bit away, of course? Yeah,
4: no, it's a a great question. Um, You know, the... I think it's fair to say for, for everybody that the the challenges as an industry that we faced last year were enormous and it put enormous pressure on feed supply and also on on the farmers themselves. You know, it's in the past, but we'll hopefully we'll learn from it moving forward and going into this winter. Um, the important thing to remember in terms of when it comes to deciding how much fertilizer you want to put out inside mm-hmm. this ground is that there's no... It, it's completely variable, you know. So for argument's sake, the, the biggest factor that dictates how much fertiliser you put out, never mind across the whole farm, but per field or per paddock is based on, on soil test results. So each field could have a different index for P and K and whatnot. So like the first thing is first is the soil test and the difference in a lot of cases between two fields that might be closed up at the same time with the same grass varieties, the same everything, could be the difference between a good crop and a great crop of silage from these fields might be slight adjustment in the fertiliser application. Uh, So like for argument's sake, if we look at um, an index tree field for P and K, you're typically going to be looking at, to get a good crop of silage, 90 units of nitrogen, 16 units of P and 100 units of K. So if you went out with 3000 gallons of slurry on an index tree ground for P and K, that will be sufficient amount of slurry provided. You know, this is good tick slurry, and if you apply three bags of can down on top of that, you've met your fertiliser requirements. If you drop it down a level to slightly less fertile ground, that we tested it, and if it came back at index two for P and K, slightly lower. Um, you know, the fertiliser requirements to get a good crop of silage off that type of ground would be 90 units of nitrogen. 24 units of P, so up from 16, and 120 units of K, so that would be up from 100. And if you didn't put out any slurry on that type of ground, you know, in order to get a good crop of silage from that, you're typically going to be looking at three bags of 0730 and four bags of can with no slurry. But if you did put out slurry, you know, you're going to be looking at 3,000 gallons of slurry to the acre and three bags of 27, So that slight difference in on, in knowing the indexes for each of the silage fields, you know, and a slight adjustment to, to the fertilizer application can make a, a big difference in trying to ensure that you get a, that you're feeding the crop to get a, a good crop of silage off of for the main cut.
2: Back to a comment you made earlier, you just mentioned in passing soil testing. Of course, like milk recording, it's vital to do your soil tests because as you probably would agree, on a lot of farms you can find uh, different areas, different fields. There can be a varying type of uh, soil, so soil sampling, very important.
4: Absolutely, like if you take into consideration... Uh, the cost of a soil sample for one field, and if you've got an extra ton of dry matter produced out of that field per annum, you know the soil sample has well and truly paid for itself times over, and you've also got uh, the comfort of having you know a good return from that field as well, so you're not putting fertilizer on a field that you're unsure as to where it sits for you know fertility wise
2: something that sounds a bit glib am I going to go for quantity or quality, and people would imagine well. Quality, obviously, but I think you have a more nuanced uh, answer to that. Quantity versus quality: Should farmers uh, focus exclusively on uh, quality? It's an answer that's
4: been out there for years. You know, it's, it's well proven at this stage uh, for for a long time. Like the, the first thing, when it comes to you know the quantity versus quality debate, you know each one is, is is important as the other, but it depends on what stock that silage crop is, is intended for. So like we'll say, if you have, if you're going feeding dry cows, if the main crop is for, you know, dry cows only, then, you know, you could get away with, you know, harvesting uh, a silage crop that has, you know, a little bit more bulk to it, a little less quality because the, the, the unit that you're going to feed, the animal that you're going to feed, you know, would w- get away with a, a silage that's hovering around the, the 70 DMD. But if you're somebody... That's going to be feeding, and um, say, uh, autumn calving cows. That realistically, you will need something around seventy-four, seventy-five, if not higher, in terms of DMD. You're going to have to be looking for, for grass. You know, that's a little less on quantity, but the quality is superior. So, so the only way I, I could, could describe that would be like if you're looking at, you know, paddocks that are gone a bit too strong, or grass hovering around a three to four leaf stage. You know, to be perfect type grass to help ensure that you're getting the highest quality feed. Um, there's like a, you know a lot of farmers out there they're they're well familiar with this now at this stage, you know. Um you often hear them discussing it. It's you know the the effects of heading out days on DMD, uh, on the dry matter digestibility. So like we say silage quality will will typically drop by half a unit per day after heading out date. So every day counts if you're somebody that's focusing on quality, but a little bit of, a bit, of, bit, of quantity there as well. So like for argument's sake, if you had a, a very promising crop of silage in the field and you're thinking of cutting it, we'll say it this week, and it could be sitting in the field, hovering around, you know, 72 DMD as a standing crop, and probably, you know, the seed head is just starting to come out. If you delay cutting a field like that, provided the sugars and the nitrogen and everything are fine, by one week... You know that 72 DMD crop could easily drop down between 68 to 69 DMD. Um, so you've taken something that could be a super promising crop, and it just it turns into a, an average crop in terms of quality uh, in in a space of a week. So timing is absolutely everything with it.
2: You did supply us with an illustrated chart there, target silage DMD for different classes of stock, and there's an illustration there of the cattle themselves, but that's all part of a vast amount of information which I'm sure listeners would like to look up for themselves because there's so much data there we couldn't possibly cover it. But is there a website where people could read that data which you've uh, very generously supplied to me for advanced briefing?
4: Yeah, it's, it's, it's freely available on the, the Chagis website or if you go into to Google and uh, just type in... Um, um, making quality silage uh, and type in chagas after it. it'll generally bring up the the a silage kind of manual as a guide that's freely available to the public and uh, all that information uh, is inside in that.
2: Those upcoming events for people who may have just tuned in and missed the start of our conversation, Matthew.
4: Oh yeah, so the upcoming events that we have coming up will be there's an ASAP, so the Agricultural uh, sustainability support and advisory program. Uh, they're a ho- they have a meeting there on the 15th of May from 11am to 12.30pm in Boherbury, County Cork. Uh, it's taking place on the farm of Owen O'Reardon in Island Brack, uh, The walk itself will take place on an outside block of land near Doonbridge and Park will be at Doonbridge as well and what they're going to discuss is basically the upcoming work that ASAP will be carrying out in the area. Uh, everybody is welcome to attend and if they have any Queries uh, about the event, just contact the, the Chagas office in Middleton and they'll gladly answer any queries. The second event is a silage event that's taken place on the 20th of May between 7 to 9 p.m. on the farm of Michael Sinead and Jamie Hayes in Ratrana in Cantorks County Cork. This is a K, uh, KT approved event, uh, so KT dairy event. And the topics that they're going to discuss is fertilizer for second course, weeds in silage and grazing ground. And if anybody has any questions, just contact the the Chagas office in Cantork and all are welcome to attend. And if, if anybody out there, if they need any assistance or if they needed a, a bit of help in submitting their, their basic payment application, just get onto your local uh, advisor and um, we will gladly facilitate and help you in submitting your 2019 basic payment application before the, the 15th of May.
2: Thank you very much indeed, Mr. Matthew Ryan, Business and Technology Advisor, Chagask, Chagask Advisory Office, the West Cork. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you very much.
5: John. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ.
2: Joining us on the Dairy Gold Farm Talk programme, Mr Harold Kingston, IFA Cork Central Chair. Harold, welcome to the programme. Now, in the light of the recent declaration of a climate and biodiversity emergency and the increasing rift apparently between consumers of food, meat, etc., And uh, UN reports, etc., etc., and agriculture lacks understanding with the general public, it would appear in some cases. But the recent Nicholson Farm Open Day in Crosshaven, do you think that was a great step in helping people, the ordinary members of the public, those most important people, the consumers, to understand farming better?
0: Absolutely John. Look, the, the Nicholson Open Day was, was the kind of day where you'd be proud to be a farmer um because it it was it was a learning experience for, for farmers and uh, like myself uh, talking to the public and, and and hopefully a learning experience for them as well. Um there was there was upwards of five thousand people there. It was phenomenal, um perfect day of course for it as well and a perfect venue uh with the Nicholson farm being uh, so close to, uh, to to the city and to cargo line and so on as well. And look at an ideal farm as well for it to actually display what is all good about farming. Um, you know, we, we, we brought in people from, from the, uh, beta growers to grain growers, um, beef producers, you know, everything was, was brought along and, and shown, um, That basically, it all ties back to the soil. It all ties back to harvesting the energy of the sun and the and the rain coming. Um, And no matter whether you buy a a a cake or 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 a box of cereal, you know it's all tied back to something that is grown on a farm originally. Uh, And yes, it was it was a major success as far as I'm concerned. Um, Only heard good comments from it.
2: And before we began broadcasting, you were talking about a good example of how farming and the natural habitat. You gave the example of the Burren in the west of mm. Ireland in County Clare, how farming and the environment can both uh, go together and one doesn't necessarily have to prosper at the expense of the other.
0: Yeah, look, it, it's interesting in, in, in a couple of contexts, I suppose, with the, the UN releasing a, a, a biodiversity loss report uh, in, uh, recently and, and uh, only just this week now ha- having uh, the Irish government uh, declaring a, a climate and biodiversity emergency Um, I think it's it's relevant to look at at how farming and the environment interacts. Uh, And I think the the greatest example of it actually is the burn, where the the original thinking was that in in order to protect the biodiversity, we need to stop farming it and take the cattle away. Uh, And now it's, it's well recognized and supported by Europe and it's used across Europe as an example of how to do things right. In in a in a very environmentally sensitive area, that's you know farming is what has created what we have there. It's, it's cattle grazing in order to keep down the scrub uh, that allows the, the the huge range of of very rare plants to grow uh, in, in in between the the, the, the limestone slabs. Um, so it, it it's an example of of how farming and the environment really can and and needs to work together. E- even just you know for for different crops like um, oilseed rape and things like that, you know you're you're going to need pollinators for 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 a lot of the crops that we we have. So it is worth our while having the the biodiversity of, uh, in in the uh, in every farm uh, in order to encourage pollinators, in order to encourage uh, you know the, the insect life, uh, and even even thinking about the the soil, the the amount of life that's actually in the soil. The, the, there, there's, there's a ton of life in every acre of, of topsoil, which is phenomenal when you think about it.
2: Of course, you referred there in passing to the UN report, of course, a quite an important report, but yes, another report pointing to the natural environment and how the encroachment of civilization of mankind is being detrimental in an extreme way, they predict. Mm. But you referred there to pollinators, uh, the bees and allied insects. Now, when you look at oilseed rape, There is certainly a strong case at EU level being put that with oilseed rape and the types of herbicides used or the type Mm -hmm. of animal plant health products used, that you have the so-called neonicotinides and Mm -hmm. those things, they destroy the sense of direction of the bees. But do you feel that the European Union will be under increasing pressure to come to a decision to ban what the people believe... uh, are extremely de- detrimental to bees and pollinators.
0: I, I think the, the the key thing that we need to look at, um in, in terms of of Europe and in terms of any any nation looking at at a you know um, an, any particular sprays, chemicals, um, or, or anything that we use, is is to actually use a science based argument and 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 look at them properly. Because unfortunately, in a lot of cases, um, public opinion. Uh, uh and and political pressure uh, has, has been actually putting pressure on some of the uh, some of the latest scientific discoveries that uh, can actually be be useful. Um the, the n actually would there there is a, a, a school of thought that because of the fact that it's used as a seed dressing um as opposed to a spray, they actually are helpful um in in terms of, of uh you know, treating a a problem in oilseed rape without actually um, putting uh, sprays directly into the uh, environment. Um, And and unfortunately, a lot of the testing that has been done has been done on the basis of of exposing bees uh, directly to the the, the particular chemical. Um, And, you know, it's important that that things are, are tested properly. Obviously, you know, look, We all think back to DDT and to different chemicals that were used which were obviously dangerous and weren't properly tested. But at the the level of testing, the, the level of licensing that is involved now in getting any chemical used... Uh, and, and, and available on the marketplace means that uh, it, it, it's much safer now and the the level of doses that we are using as well um you know with, with, with being very careful with spot treatments and so on, uh, the level of, of use of of insecticides and the, the level of use of, of various herbicides has dropped quite considerably. Um and, and it, it's about using all these things responsibly. Um look as as humans we're obviously you know, we're 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 growing as a population. We're having more of an effect uh on on where where we live. Our our footprint is, is is fairly serious when you start putting down concrete and building houses and building roads and so on. Um but we also have to make sure that we Uh, have an environment where we can continue to grow food for to feed ourselves.
2: Thank you, Harold. Mr Harold Kingston, IFA Cork Central Chair, part of an interview with Harold, broadcasting hopefully the remainder of the interview on this coming Wednesday evening between 10pm and 11 on the midweek edition of the Dairy Gold Farm Talk programme. That's our programme for this morning. I'm John O'Connor. Thanks to John Foot on Controls. And as always, a very special thank you to you, the listener, for tuning in. Have an enjoyable weekend. Thanks for listening. Dairy Gold Agribusiness for quality feed, expert service, and support you can trust.
5: Hi.